Well, we come to the end of Philippians. Actually, this will be the 21st sermon on the book of Philippians that we began back in June, working our way through. We got to hear John and Travis took a, one of those each uh, during the fall, and we're going to sucker them into doing more here coming in the spring, hopefully. But anyway, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. It's been a great experience. Uh, and it's been the first book that we as a church have, have worked through. Uh, I don't know if you realize that. We went through our, our values, and, and we went through the Advent time and that Christmas time, and uh, we finally found our way through this. And I think if we take just a moment to sum this up, that this book that we've been working through, the book of Philippians, we'd have to say that it's all about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus being the, the son of our solar system, the central focus of our lives that we revolve around. Our reason for getting up in the morning, our hope for eternal life, our joy when life brings suffering and sorrow of various sorts, our true and real satisfaction. It's been about how Jesus is our everything. So for one last time, at least in this study, please open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades. People say important things just before they are parting ways. As children of all ages walk out their door, their mother shouts something after them, some sort of important information. When they're younger, it's do not go in the street or take care of your sister. And as they grow older, it's something like wear your seatbelt or make sure you're home by 9 o'clock. And as Paul ends this letter, he too begins to give us some important information to go with us. And the first thing he talks about is the generosity of Christians. And the second thing is, is what fuels the generosity of Christians, that being the generosity of God himself to his people. So first we see that this characteristic of the people of God should be generosity. In verse 14, Paul shows gratitude for their willingness to share in his sufferings. It's an interesting phrase, share in your sufferings, because the suffering was brought upon Paul not because of something stupid he did, but as a result of his following Christ, as a result of him preaching the gospel to these people. And now, they didn't come and and actually get shackled with Paul. You hear that phrase, share in his sufferings, but they did share in his sufferings. They did so with their letter. They did so by sending Epaphroditus. They did so by giving him financial support. All of this told Paul that he was not alone in the world even as he might have been sitting alone very often, Uh, that he belonged to this covenant family, this church body, who had not forgotten him, even though he had been sitting in prison. 
And it would have been very easy for them to have forgotten Paul. You know, they had their own worries, both individually and as a church. And yet they remembered to look outside themselves, to, to look to Paul and to encourage his brother in Christ who desperately needed it. And, and this has great local application for us. In this room are people who are facing difficulties in their life, difficult situations. Some might feel alone or depressed or anxious or frustrated or any number of other emotions. We need to share in their sufferings, and that takes a, a time for us to actually look outside of us. The same is true for those who are outside of this room right now, members of this body who aren't here, missionaries who are in faraway lands, campus ministers, volunteers and organizations, or just neighbors down the street or friends that you might know who are really desperate to just need to feel cared for, for someone to share in their suffering. So let me encourage you today to Look outside yourselves. Look around. See who needs your words of encouragement. See who needs your presence in their life. I think you'll, you'll be surprised also just how much joy you find when you get to come along someone and share in their sufferings with them. Now in verse 15 through 18, we learn that the Philippians not only shared in the suffering of Paul, but, but they were ministry partners with Paul. Uh, you might remember Paul was a, a tent maker. Sounds like a phrase, it just means he makes tents. That was his job. And yet, as he received this call from God to go out and travel and, and to take the gospel to these other places, it meant that he was going to need financial support for travels and so that he could focus on this gospel work instead of constantly making tents. The church in Philippi then supported him financially. For people in vocational ministry, having someone support you is an amazing encouragement. I admit, though, that in the past, there have been times in my life when I just tend to be skeptical of things. And, and when I would hear people use this phrase, you know, how would you like to be a ministry partner of mine? It, it sounded very insincere, like, you just want my money. You don't really care about my partnership. I can tell you today I was completely wrong. Financial support is absolutely real partnership. In fact, it's because of people who partnered with us as a church plant that we are meeting here this afternoon and worshiping God together. When John Dunning and, and Travis and I, some years ago, began dreaming about this work, the most daunting obstacle in the way was, how in the world do you finance something like this? I can still remember the first time I ever called someone to ask them for support. I was on the phone. I was even more nervous to the idea of going in person and doing this. But I remember just being so nervous and feeling like an absolute beggar uh, that as I sat on the phone and talked, I just squirmed and was awkward and couldn't think of the right words to say. And, and it was such a shock to me when they responded that they would love to partner with us. And they are still partnering with us to this day. And that day, I can remember, I hung up the phone and I fell to my knees and I just, just about, I didn't, but I just about cried and, and just absolute joy that someone would do this. I, I could not believe their, their generosity. I, I couldn't believe that this church plant might actually really happen because we'd been dreaming about it for so long. And you see, I think anyone who's ever had to raise support understands what an amazing thing it is for someone to take money, take money that they have worked hard to earn, Money that they could have spent on 100,000 different things for themselves and to take that money and to give it so that churches can be planted or campus ministries can be run so that the gospel can be proclaimed on campuses or so that missionaries can take it to faraway lands. This is such an amazing encouragement when you begin to see that. 
And I think if we step back, most of us, or even all of us, love this idea of giving to these needs. The truth is, though, it's very, very difficult to let go of our resources in order to actually give to them. And that's because we all have very limited income. We have limited time that we can give. And to take that and to give that to someone else can be a very difficult task. Generosity of all sorts is just a difficult task. I'll tell you a story that jumped to my mind when I began to think of this. It's humorous and sad. During seminary, Laura and I lived down the hall from a really nice couple. And it was almost Christmas time. And we were sitting in their apartment and we were talking to their wife. And in walks the husband and he has these bags and he's excited and he's full of all this joy. And he begins to excitedly show her all this stuff that he had bought for himself and, and for her and all these, all these things that we're really excited about. And I believe there was even a TV out in the car that, that he was really excited about. And suddenly his wife asked this question. She says, I thought you said we couldn't afford to buy gifts this year. And without even a hint of embarrassment, his response was, I said we couldn't afford to buy other people gifts this year. And my first thought was, this is really awkward. I wish they'd have this conversation when we were gone. But then my second thought was the more judgmental one you might be having. I thought, this might be the most selfish person I've ever met in my life. And then my third thought, which didn't come until a long time afterwards, was he just put into words what is often true of my actual heart. I have time, but not time to give to you. I have money, but not money to give to you or to others or to the work of the gospel. See, it's very difficult to give away what we perceive to be ours. I think one of the ways we combat this selfishness is to remember that everything we have has been given by God because everything belongs to God. In Psalm 50, God says, Every beast of the field is his. You've probably heard this. And the cattle on a thousand hills are his. That's why the gospel should make us generous. We realize that God really does own everything, that he has been generous to forgive our sins in Christ, that he has been generous to give us a place in his kingdom, to provide us with abilities, to provide us with jobs, to provide us with the very things which have provided every cent in our bank account, whether that be many or few. But like I said before, it's, it's difficult to give away our money. And part of the reason is that it feels like we're just giving our money to another person. What's the point? Now, I want you to see something in verse 18. Notice what Paul calls these gifts which Epaphroditus delivers to, the, to him from the Philippians. He says, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He equates their giving to the ministry with giving an offering to God that is pleasing to God. He helps remind them and us that when we give to churches or missionaries or RUF or crew or whatever it might be, that we're really giving to God. And that sounds strange at first, but it's to God because we are giving of these resources to help support the work of the gospel in these various settings. Your money helps accomplish ministry, which really is a pretty amazing way to spend it. And one tool to help ourselves becomes more generous is to ask this question, how can the money that God has made me a steward of be a blessing to others in the name of Christ? How can our money be a blessing to others? And then, and this is the really hard part, to actually do that. 
to do that, not for the thank you, not for the recognition, but rather because it honors God, because it's an offering to God, because we actually care that the gospel goes out, actually care that it's proclaimed to people that have not heard it, or those that have heard it a thousand times and need to hear it again. And understand, we're not talking about tithes necessarily here, but, but a general generosity to gospel ministries. And this raises this question, you know, how much should we give? There's a quote by C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity that I think is helpful towards this. He said this, it's easier when he says it instead of I do. He said, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusement, etc. is up to the standard of common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving way too little. If our charities do not pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. And I'll add this. Even when people have given very small amounts, it has been hugely encouraging. In verse 17 and 18, then, we see Paul is thankful for their generosity. He doesn't take it for granted. It's nothing he expects he deserves on any level, but he really appreciates it. He also reminds them in verse 19 that God will take care of them. Verse 19 says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I think we sure struggle at times to believe that. We tend to fear that the day will come when we will have no money for food or no money for clothes, or whatever it is that we really need. And what we see here is that God will take care of us. I certainly need this, and I expect most of us need to have a stronger faith in believing these two facts. First, that God can take care of us, because his riches are endless. He creates from nothing. He can provide for us with everything we need, including the forgiveness of our sins, which, by the way, no amount of money accumulated can purchase. Secondly, that he will supply all our needs. Maybe not to the level we want, maybe not to the level we are dreaming to live at, but we understand that the God of the universe, who has called us to be his children, will provide for us. And that's a very difficult truth to believe at times. So let that sink in. God will provide every need of yours according to his riches. You will not accidentally give away too much. Verse 20 puts us all in perspective when it says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is why you exist, for the glory of God. So we begin asking that question, how does my life serve that purpose? Now, I want to do something a little unique today that we don't usually do. And I debated whether to do this or not, and that is to read through the entire letter of Philippians again as we come here to the end. I'm honest, the people pleaser in me thought, don't do this. It looks like you are taking the easy way out, preparing a very short sermon and relying on just reading the text of the scripture. And I began to talk to Travis, and, and really we decided it would be beneficial because it's not a lot of opportunity for us to do this as a church. And yet that's what the early church did all the time. They would read these letters. They would be encouraged by them. Plus, it is exactly what the early church to do. But more importantly, though, because we desire to be a people of the word and because it will serve us well to take this book that we've been studying for the last 21 weeks or 21 sermons over 20-something rather weeks, to zoom out a bit and see where we've been. 
to let that cement in our minds a little bit, to, to remind us of just where we've, where we've traveled in our studies. And so I want you to do this. Relax. Try to imagine that you are in a first century church, except for that we have air conditioning and heating, and you're listening to this letter, and you are eager to grow spiritually and to know what it is that, that God has to share with us. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in, my, in, every, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I, shall, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convicted of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is the clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. 
So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, but uh, own an interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the f flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason of co for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, 
As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think any, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds that unearthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have received your concern from me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent, you sent me help for my needs once and again. 
Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So the early church would have sat and listened just like that. They would have heard this letter read. They would have been encouraged by it. The word of God. Uh, we've been through this book. I mean, my hope is that you'll read through this book many times in your life. And as you do, you'll remember much of what we learned as we went through this. That we as a church would often be encouraged this. I hope even as we read that, you're able to see some of the themes, some of the things that we, we experienced as we went through this. 